Hi, welcome to season six, episode five. Um, we're focusing on ROI and there's so many different aspects to it that we're gonna try to tackle two here. One is the cost of acquisition because there's some good, bad stories there. And also many of you might be in a declining um, situation. And so how do you measure it and somehow make a, a strategy around that? Uh, so Sean, why don't you kick us off? You seem to have good, uh, good interesting stories. Let's, let's see what you have to say about acquisition costs. Uh, it's only because only I love a good failure. So I, I pick up <laughs> on some of the negatives, but we should remember that the, the basis of acquisition cost is a key element to understand in any campaign, both as a baseline, what, what does it cost you historically to add new customers? Because from that baseline, you can then judge the effectiveness of, of, of future campaigns. If you don't take it into account, your current acquisition cost, you're, you're probably gonna overstate the ROI a little bit because there's an element of new business that you would get through the normal course of business. So any campaign, any, effort needs to say, what does it normally cost us to get customers? And, and what's the incremental cost of this campaign, assuming it's a, a higher cost? Um, there was a couple of examples that, that, that we talked about. One was very specifically over here in the UK, where Hoover, um, back in the 90s, did a, a, a campaign that was hugely successful, but massively, massively increased their acquisition cost. And it was essentially, and I don't have all the details to hand, buy any Hoover product with a value of $150 or more US equivalent, and we'll give you a $900 equivalent <laughs> airfare to go to the US. Now that sounds like a really good deal. And of course it was to the extent that they were selling out of products, the sort of products that fit the profile at the low end, the $155 products were selling out but they were just ending up in landfill and in skips and abandoned on the street because people thought I buy this product, I get something of three, four times the value. And I'm uh, often it, it nearly bankrupted the, uh, the, the company. And it was, uh, I guess, even though it's an extreme example, it goes to show if you don't have a handle on what the ultimate cost in, in those sorts of promotions, it's all about the redemption, isn't it? How many people actually claim the award? And uh, if you don't have a, a sensitivity to what the likely redemption is going to be and how it compares to your baseline, you can make some pretty um, pretty unfortunate decisions. That, that was the one that sprang to mind. But I guess we see it not so spectacularly, but in every walk of life. I'm sure you guys have got examples where you've seen acquisition costs get either out of control or, or not be measured properly. Yeah, Tom? Well, I, I didn't properly introduce you. This is Tom Spitali, <laughs> group. <laughs> Yeah, that one hurts. The Hoover one hurts. I grew up down the street from the plant. I knew a lot of people that worked there in, uh, in North Canton, Ohio, which is just right next to, to, to my hometown where all my family lived. My uncle worked there. And so wow. you know, they, they get a, a, a black guy that, that costs, probably costs some jobs. But I, 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 I want to talk about that one a little bit more because I think it relates a little bit to the, um, the topic last, I think it was last episode. We talked about lifetime value. Okay, why in the world would you give away $900 for a minimum $150 purchase? Well, let's first start with the fact that the deal with the travel agency, the airline was not $900, a $900 value. So no. it was probably more like a 600 or 650. Still, 
you know, uh, it's trading 150 for 650. Why would you ever, ever do that? Well, you're thinking that in the future, you're going to sell, you know, uh, more uh, sweeper bags. <laughs> you're going to um, potentially sell, uh, you know, higher end models as the, as, as the sweepers kind of run out. I'm, I'm sure that that was the thinking, but I, I think maybe the the issue is is in a consumer product like that you 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 end up with a lot of of gamers you can't really control uh whether the message hits your target market or goes beyond your target market and obviously this went beyond the target market with a lot of people that are just out there looking for for deals and this one was really really obvious i think that you know, had that been directed in some way. And I think now, Sean, you said that was the 90s, right? You said it was- Yeah, yeah. So, you know, to today, you have these you know, more of an ability to have a direct relationship, maybe control the offers a little bit less um, massively, maybe, you know, something like that directed at, maybe at the right audience could have, could have worked. It still seems like quite a stretch, but I, I think it, it, um, it, it speaks to the idea of know your, your target market, know the potential lifetime value, and um, you know, make sure that this thing doesn't get out of control because it, it, in, in some cases it may have been a, a good idea. From a, well, I, think a, that, I think that's a really good point because obviously no one sits down and goes, well, if we take in a hundred bucks and give out 500, that'll be good. Nobody thinks that. But you're right, some model would have been done that said with the TV advertising, with in-store promotions, with uh, discounting, it costs us an average of X to acquire a customer. And then maybe the lifetime value of that customer is seen as, as the return on the investment. So, so it actually makes a lot of sense to, to um, offer a pretty good deal to get people on board, right? As long as you control it, it's the control, yeah. Well, and it's also the assumptions going into those formulas, um, you know, working from bases before, you know, if you looked at what you had said was the cost of sales and cost of marketing over the incremental cost, uh, number of customers that you're acquiring. And so if you have that formula and you, like you said, in scenario A, we're spending, you know, 10 times as much for the cost of sales and the cost of marketing. Um, relatively speaking, maybe the scenario B is is a better situation. Um, Tom, were you you were going to say something? Well, I, I I have an example of where it worked right, but it was a really really small business. My brother in law started a uh, window cleaning business. Okay, and he you know this this was back in the '90s, and he said you know how do I how do I get this business started? He said I don't have a big budget for, for advertising. And I said, you know, hand out some flyers to in, in neighborhoods, targeted neighborhoods, places where you want to work, places where there's a lot of windows, pay places where people have um, expendable income and offer to do the first window cleaning for free. And completely free. I said, it's your labor. It's, it's basically advertising through sweat. He actually ended up, tell them you're going to prove it to them. He actually ended up naming the company, prove it. That company still exists today because he went to these places. He, he, he had a control over the target market. He had control over the message. Um, he gave away some of his sweat in exchange for his actual expenditure in 
more traditional forms of advertising. And somewhere around 80% of the people that he did a free window washing for hired him. So these kinds of really bold moves can work. I, th I think it, it, it can sometimes be actually really brilliant. But you've, I, mean, I go back to my original point, you've got to control you know, the, the message, who it goes to, you've got to try to eliminate the gamers, so to speak. Yeah, some sort of stop loss. And I guess it's really, it's, it's, it's pretty old school because you think in, in supermarkets, right, the, the concept of a loss leader, of selling a product that is very cheap and on, on paper at least, that one product would make a very poor return on investment, but it gets people in the store who then buy other things. And it's that mindset, isn't it? It's understand the, the, the consequential impact of whatever promotion or incentive you're offering. And I think the key thing, Tom, particularly in these days of a connected world where everyone can share, you know, have you seen this great deal you can get, log on here and this coupon code? Control is important also. But if you can manage the control and understand the consequential impact of that, you've got to calculate the ROI on that big picture and maybe create a stop loss too. It's not always just on the transaction, is it? It's on the bigger lifetime value. You know, um, I just watched The Social Dilemma, and one of the quotes was, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. And it just seems that if you flip that and you're on the other side of that, you know, you're saying, if I'm buying that Hoover, you know, why am I paying so little for this? Um, you know, it, it may be getting people on a list so that you're looking like you have a bigger base that you're trying to sell your company or show that, you know, you have a lot of these connections. So it, uh, it is interesting when you peel it back a bit and say, what is the bigger strategy that's happening here? Um, one of the things that we know a lot of our clients are facing right now is, is, um, is a tough situation where the market's declining. And that's where um, you might be looking at an ROI and saying, okay, we're a little bit more desperate than usual. How do we make sure we don't do something completely dumb but we've got to look at a market that's starting to decline, especially in pharmaceuticals. We see that a lot where the um, it's at the end of its life. There's the generics coming on and we know it's going to decline, but we're just trying strategically to not let it slip as deep as it's going to or as fast. And so that's another way. How do you measure that type of a situation? You know, it's it's, it's one of the uh, it's really important. It's what I call a counterfactual, where what would have happened if we didn't do this, which is always speculative. Marketing, as we know, has a tough time um, staking its claim and saying, because of me, this happened, taking that credibility. You know, it, it's always it's it's very often seen as a uh, a retrospective look at, at how successful marketing is. Well, this was our budget. We got these sales and. And some cynics say, what would we have got if it wasn't for marketing? You know, what is your true value add? It's a tough. So when we add in these counterfactuals, it becomes even harder. And, you know, it's not just in marketing. You see it. Um, the whole world is suffering from this pandemic at the moment as we record this. And, and, and one of the things you hear a lot of governments say when they're criticized for their approach because they moved too slowly or they didn't do lockdown quick enough or they've been too quick to open up, their argument is, is a counterfactual it could have been so much worse if we hadn't done what we did. So it's a little bit the refuge of scoundrels, but in marketing, you will face situations where your product is declining, whether it's off patent, like in a pharmaceutical, uh, famously in the cigarette market, which we, I don't like to showcase or talk about, but it was very pivotal in terms of branding when Marlboro, if I've 
pronounce that correctly, um, cigarettes slashed the price of their product by 20% back in 93 um, to stave off generic competition. At that moment, their ROI was negative. They, would, they just slashed profit. Over the long run, it's been seen as a pretty canny strategic move to arrest the decline and to stabilize their market share and to grow back from that. And we've seen that in, in pharmaceuticals as well. So how do we calculate ROI when the very act that we're doing is a price cut or a discount? And it's traditionally, that's a negative ROI, but we've still got to sell it as a positive. How do we do that, I guess, is the question. I think a, a, something we've talked a lot about in these podcasts that comes into play here, especially thinking about the Marlboro case, is a trend discipline. Okay, which kind of ends up taking you a little bit outside of the, the, the realm of, of metrics and, and, and measurement. But sometimes, like in the case of generic competition in the cigarette industry, you know, the idea of trying to project what that threat really is and will be um, into the future, several years into the future, is, 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 is critical because, you know, a lot of times you just don't have anywhere else you can look for, for data or, you know, basically as a company, you've got to try to align on whether this is a true threat, the magnitude of the threat and well, whether it's, you know, worth taking some pretty drastic action, which that was, that is, as you said, it's a, a, a negative ROI in the short term, but, you know, I guess in retrospect, um, you know, that, that it turned out to be a, a, a good move because the nature of competition had changed permanently. Mm -hmm. So none of us have a crystal ball. The closest that we have is to the, the ability to, as smart people, to kind of look over the horizon and, and, and agree as a company what the threats are and what their potential impacts are so that if we take a drastic action like that, you know, without any real ability to know if it's going to work out or not, we feel at least that we've done the hard work of examining it, aligning and making a bet. Mm. Yeah. And, and being convincing of the, um, of what the trend line, you know, situation A is so that if we do B, it minimizes it. You can't have you can't talk about, you know, dropping the price of, of cigarettes without saying this is the new reality. This is the reality. And we have to do this because, you know, you, you don't have any argument internally to, <laughs> to do anything like that. Um, we uh, any final thoughts, Sean, as we wrap this up? I, I just got to thinking that when we started this this idea of doing a podcast series around return on investment, I think one of the first things we said was, you know, this is a pretty simple concept. It's like what you get over what you give as a percentage, boom. And of course it is. But as we've got deeper into some of the challenges, we can see why it's an area that doesn't get as much attention as it deserves and really points to how marketing has to be in that strategic position that consensus building that owning the the big picture because roy is never a transactional simple measure or very rarely it has strategic implications through cost of acquisitions through counterfactuals what if we don't do this um so i guess we started by saying uh, it's a simple concept and we're, we're sort of getting to the point now we're saying 
it's a devilishly difficult concept to get right. You know, it's both of those things. It, it's simple and difficult at the same time. Yeah. Tom? I'm amazed at how intertwined it is with the rest of the things that we regularly talk about. Just in this particular podcast, we've talked about target marketing, understand, you know, which, which implies that you've segmented your, your market and know who your target audience are, is so that, you know, you can somewhat maybe control the aggressive offers so you don't pull in the gamers, you know, but we also just talked about a trend discipline, which seems to come in a lot in almost every topic that we talk about and the importance of, you know, uh, having that and aligning uh, around certain things that you think are going to happen in, in the future. Um, all of those things are intertwined very deeply with uh, return on investment. Yeah, yeah. Um, we hope that you've enjoyed this ROI, Roy, um, conversation, and um, we hope that it's uh, made you think a bit more about what you might do with your business. Um, we always love to hear. If you have any stories, good or bad, we always love to hear about, you know, the cost of acquisition or how you're measuring in a declining market. Um, you can hear all of our podcasts on the accidentalmarketer.com website or, you know, anywhere you get your podcasts. Thank you very much.